Good day, and welcome back to Broken Laces. I'm happy to have you back on the on the next episode here in season two. And it's another great one where I welcome Liz Thomas, who is among the most experienced female hikers in the U.S. and is known for backpacking light, fast, and solo. In 2011, she broke the women's unsupported speed record on the 2,181-mile-long Appalachian Trail, best in the previous record by almost a week. She has completed the triple crown of hiking, the aforementioned AT, the 2,650-mile Pacific Crest Trail, and the 3,100-mile Continental Divide Trail, and has backpacked over 15,000 miles across the U.S. on 16 long-distance hikes, including the pioneering traverse of the Chinook Trail across the Columbia River Gorge and the pioneering traverse of Wasatch Range, which she also did solo. Both of those hikes were the first time at least documented in doing so. Liz is affectionately known as the queen of urban hiking, having pioneered and completed routes in over a dozen cities across the United States. On the podcast, we talk about Liz's entrance into through hiking, her best advice to those who are interested, her involvement in various national and regional hiking organizations, and her new endeavor, Long Distance Urban Hikes. Let's hit that music and get to Liz. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm glad to have you on. We got a recommendation from a fellow podcast guest, which was, I think you're my first kind of word of mouth guest. And then it turns out you are just an avid hiker, backpacker. You got the the author thing going. And so I just, I'm super glad that you're joining the podcast. I'm so happy to be on. Cool. Well, let's hop into it. Uh, as I just mentioned, you're you're a hiker, author, editor, speaker, and coach. And obviously, if you have a passion for the outdoors, you have to kind of venture into all these ancillary roles to, to make a living off of it. And each of those generates kind of a different interest or an impact as it pertains to hiking and backpacking. So I'm just kind of curious, what's exciting you most these days regarding those different roles and the type of impact you're having as a hiker. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I, it is interesting that, that you asked the question, what's exciting me the most these days, because it's certainly changed over my hiking career, my outdoors career. Um, I, I was very interested in, in discovering about myself, uh, discovering new places. And now I'm definitely at a, at a point where motivating fellow hikers, helping people to get out, changing the demographics of who's out there hiking, um, and teaching people is, is something that I'm, I'm, I would say is my main passion right now. And so what's that look like? I, I know we'll dive a little bit later into kind of some of the positions that you have on different boards and chapters, but in that discovery process, as you went from kind of being a, a solo, you know, attracted to hiking and searching kind of within yourself, and now you're helping others, like how, how did you make that transition? Was there a notable event? Um, that. I think one of the big events was, uh, let's see, about five years ago, I was asked by Backpacker Magazine to put together an online course about through hiking, how, how mm. it's called through hiker, through hiking 101. And that process of working with a really good editor uh, at Backpacker, Rachel, and thinking about what, how I wanted other people to think about through hiking and my, how my perspective is different than others out there. 
um, kind of was a big shift in in my life thinking about like the how I wanted to see hiking change and who I wanted to see out there. And so was that kind of core to your thesis in that piece? You know, it, it, it was one of the things I really wanted to show in that piece is that through hiking is an extraordinary thing that ordinary people can do. And I didn't just want it to be this sort of expert top down way of looking gotcha. it out through hiking, like so many other outdoor sports have been. Um, I really wanted to draw in voices from people of all ages, backgrounds, fitness levels, say, mm-hmm. hey, you can do this. Not all of us got here the same way, but we're all out here enjoying nature, doing this amazing thing, seeing these amazing places. Um, and, and that really made me think more and more about about why through hiking is incredible and why I want to teach and inspire others to do it. Yeah, it makes sense and resonates with me. I know I, I'm a backpacker subscriber and I've read enough about through hiking and long trails that after a while, I was just like, why am I reading about this? I need to just go do it and see how I feel about it. Is it just something that I, you know, scratch the itch and I'm good? Or is it going to be something that I want to do like all the time now? And it's the latter, of course. Um, but yeah, it's, it's probably analogous to people who, you know, start running just to be fit. And then they're like, well, well what if I do a half marathon? And what if I do a marathon? It's, it's not like a certain skill set is required. You just have to know, as you mentioned, kind of the different skill sets and, and mental attitude and how to approach a through hike. So yeah, that's fantastic. And you know, it's, it's funny with through hiking too, because you know, it's so long, but I've talked to people who are into meditating who say, you know, it's kind of the difference, the difference between a day hike and a through hike is similar to your five minute meditation before your coffee versus going to a 10 day retreat or a, a month long retreat. Uh, it's that same sort of, uh, of, of difference. That's a little bit hard to explain until you do. It and you're like, Oh, okay. I, I think I get it. So maybe there's some listeners out there who, who, who can resonate with that, even if they're not running marathons. Totally. And so what were some of those key, um, I don't know. What are what are some of the key points in your description on how you get people into through hiking? Yeah, you know, so when I put together that through hiker class, through hiker one hundred and one class with backpacker, and then wrote uh, my book Long Trails: Mastering the Art of the Through Hike, um, which is also with backpacker and Falcon Guides, uh, National Outdoor Book Award winner, best instructional mm-hmm. book. Um, but when it, when I was putting that together, I was looking at some of the other books out there, and one of the first things I noticed is that there were no books in print by a major publisher that were written by women. And then I realized that really a lot, the, the two major books that were out there were, um, you know, written by very, very accomplished people who I respect a lot, but they had kind of this top-down expert way of looking at it. So I really wanted to have this sort of grassroots, bottom-up way of thinking about through hiking. Um, and also, I, I know that it's really fun to talk about the gear and to talk about the wildlife and all the scary things that happen. But for so many people, the first step on deciding to through hike is, what do I tell my family? How do I save enough money? How do I get enough time? Mm. And so one of the things I really wanted to do in my book is start from, from what happens right after you get that first thought to go out and do a through hike. So it's, it's, you, get this, you hear that the Pacific Crest Trail exists. Uh, right. what, do you, what do you do now? <laughs> And uh, walk step by step about all the things you need to think about uh, and how to actually execute it. Nice. And that's uh, that's the backpacking long trails. So that's in my review of looking into you, Liz. Uh, 
it's like it's been quoted as the Bible of the sport, and that that was written in 2017. Um, so you're you're talking about when you first you know popped that thought into your head, all the way through to completion. I would imagine. Yeah, and you know one of the things too is that I give talks around the country to college groups, uh, to more corporate groups, and I always get that question of. Well, so how do you save enough money to do this? How do you get the time to do it? And it, it comes up on every talk. So I really wanted to not just lay out what I do, but lay out what people in different periods in their life, all the way from the student to the mid-career person to the retired person, everyone in between, um, because everyone has a different strategy. And I think reading about other people's strategies is so empowering to go out there and actually do it. Nice. Well, I'm going to give you a chance to sell it a little bit more because you're my first Triple Crown hiker on the podcast, completing the Appalachian Trail, the Pacific Crest Trail, and the Continental Divide Trail. And I'd love to ask you kind of what did you gain in doing that many hikes and those those three in particular? What did you gain mentally, physically, emotionally that, that maybe you couldn't have done in one? Is there something that you're discovering more each time you do it? Yes. I would say every time I do it, I discover more. Uh, so I would say... Um, physically, emotionally, and mentally, the first hike is, uh, you know, it's, it's a big, big learning experience in terms of getting into your routine, knowing yourself well enough to figure out your motivation, figuring out how to walk when your feet are in pain. So um, in many ways, what, what my goal in my book is to help prepare people ahead of time, all of the, all of these feelings um, both physically and mentally and emotionally that you're going to get. I mean, they're going to happen anyway, but preparing yourself can help get yourself up over that bump. Um, and then once you're up over that bump, you're kind of free to get into to receiving um, your surroundings a little bit more um, because you're not always thinking about your feet. You're not always thinking about how hungry you are. Um, you're, you're, you're able to really uh, soak in what, what's around you. Yeah, some people call that like the hiker's rhythm, right? Right. You start, you start to be in sync with your body and you're mentally accepting the pain that you've already, um, <laughs> that you've already, you know, experienced. I, so ideally, you'll get to a state where, where you won't be in pain anymore. In the pain, right? Yeah, maybe just for the first few days. Um, so now you're migrated. So you do the three big hikes and now you're into this different mindset of what else is out there, I would imagine. And you've started pioneering routes, including the Chinook Trail across the Columbia River Gorge or uh, the one in my home state of the Wasatch Range in, yeah. in Utah. So what's what's the logistics into doing that? Like, how do you get inspired to say, I'm just going to go hike from point A to point B and it's over this mountain? Yeah, so the the Chinook Trail, uh, which is in the Columbia River Gorge, uh, you know, it's funny the term pioneering because obviously, like the Chinook Somebody indigenous people yeah, yeah. would do this route all the time. But the Chinook Trail um, actually is a, a national recreation trail. Uh, it's 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 registered um, as a national recreation trail, yet no one had ever done it. And um, one of the things that appealed to me is that a friend of mine um, who had a full time job and his two weeks vacation a year was looking for a long distance hike. Um, you know, he had hiked at, as an 18 year old and he still had a little bit of that bug, but had a really demanding job. And he, he wanted to go on this two week through hike and found the Chinook trail just in his backyard outside of Portland. Right. And, uh, and, um, said, Hey, there's an association for it. Uh, show me the maps. 
And they said, well, no one's ever done it. And <laughs> that kind of got us really excited about figuring out how to put together the maps based on essentially a map they had written on the back of a napkin, right. um, where the start and the end was. Um, and yeah, a lot of it was just looking at topo maps from all different sorts of map makers, seeing what could connect, talking to locals um, who knew certain areas and secret trails. And a lot of it was going out, hoping things would work on the ground. And sometimes we would get there and the trail would be totally gone, uh, grown, impossible to see because it was all, all bushy, all over ground. Um, And then, you know, improvising, figuring out what to do (laughs) as a backup. So did the t- did it turn into a two week trail? Did did you lose some time there? We actually were able to do it in ten days, which was nice. um, which was great. We were able to make up some miles in some of the the flat sections. Um, and so, does what comes out of that? Are you then immediately going to publishing? And I mean, like a couple blog posts are obvious, but are then other people you know calling you and asking you about such a trail? Yeah, so we, uh, you know, obviously with the the long distance hiking community, as soon as someone finds out there's a new trail out there, um, and you know, a trail that's close to Portland, which is great. Um, And obviously with the Columbia River Gorge, one of the cool things is going from that temperate rainforest over to a more arid climate and then back. Um, You know, there's not a lot of trails that have hit all of those marks, the National Recreation Area. Uh, so people were really excited. Um, so we've been sharing our maps with hikers. Obviously, the Eagle Creek Fire kind of um, took a little bit of steam out of uh, the Oregon side. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, people have been excited about it. And I, I think that especially as some of those gorge trails start opening again, that um, we're going to see more through hikers out there. And tell me a little bit about the Wasatch. This is a selfish question, obviously, <laughs> but the Wasatch Range, where where were you going? So I started out uh, in the Wellsville, started um, in Logan, and then right. headed south all the way to uh, Mount Nebo. Is that how you say it? <laughs> um, and then up and over. And yeah, that that was um, that was actually because a local had told me, hey, um, I think this would be really cool traverse to do. Um, and I don't think anyone had ever, has ever done it before. So I, he sent me some maps. I put together some maps and, um, I went at the worst, well, there are worse times of year, but I went at a not very ideal time of year, as I'm sure, you know, um, September where the water situation Mm. was a little dire, but that's what worked out with my schedule. Um, yeah. And, uh, it, it was, it was really, as you know, the Wasatch Range is beautiful, um, and really wild considering you can often see town right below. Exactly. Yeah. You're, you're, were you basically on a, the spine the whole time? Yeah. Yeah. So w- what was weird is I would get, I had a lot more cell reception than I was expecting yeah, on that route, yeah, yeah. which is funny because uh, I had lent my car to a friend um, who ended up accidentally parking it in an area where it got towed. And in order to get it released, I had to get off trail and uh, find a notary. So all of these things that are like, you're in the middle of a through hike, no one has ever done, you're worried about the, right. where the water is. And then now my car was getting towed. So it was just kind of a, a funny trip of all sorts of, of different experiences. Yeah, that's definitely like a tangent in the next book, like <laughs> how to find a notary in the middle of a through hike. Right. Yeah. Well, I mentioned earlier all the things you are now that you have uh, made a living in the in the outdoors here, and I think one of the things I'm most fascinated about that I didn't include in that list is just your involvement in the various hiking organizations you're a part of, including being the vice president of the American Long Distance Hiking Association, 
the Western region, uh, one of four ambassadors of the American Hiking Society. And I think you've recently worked with the CDT Trail Coalition. Uh, I can imagine what those things do and what involvement looks like. Um, But they're also very non-traditional from the boards or the organizations that we all volunteer in on a kind of normal day-to-day basis. So I'd just love for you to just tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing with those organizations. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, one of the things is that, that I like to explain is a difference between all of the different hiking trail organizations, because Mm -hmm. it definitely seems like, oh, you contribute to one, you contribute to all of them, which is kind of true, but they all have different kind of focuses. So um, I used to work for the Continental Divide Trail Coalition, um, which is the official manager with the Forest Service, um, partner with the Forest Service for the Continental Divide Trail. And, um, you know, that I was with the organization very, very early in their um, in, in their existence. So that job was officially I was um, an information specialist. So I talked to people about the trail and logistics and where to get to trailheads and what time to be where and what gear to carry. Um, but some of it was just hands on the ground, talking to people, holding happy hours, going down to Silver City, New Mexico for the kickoff. So it's kind mm. of an all hands on deck um, experience. And now they're a much bigger, um, uh, very well organized organization with lots of people. Um, and um, they're able to do a lot of the trail specific advocacy and um, and to get parts of the trail built, to get um, pieces of public land connected so that the trail is off the road and all on public land. Um, and it's really been incredible watching what they do. So that's the CDTC, the American Hiking Society based in D.C. And they're uh, kind of like the local D.C. hikers um, advocate. So they'll go into different offices of representatives and lobby. They're tracking all the bills that are going on to into committee or hitting the floor. Um, They're sending out notes to different groups like the CDTC and other local hiking organizations saying, hey, this bill might affect your area. Let your members know. Um, so they're very uh, a DC federal um, wonky organization that um, serves a really important role that's not local, but um, is really tracking all the federal policies that affect hiking. And then the American Long Distance Hiking Association is a user group, and uh, I, I mean the the other ones are, are uh, you know like professional sort of organizations. American Long Distance Hiking Association, I would say, is is professional, but it's all volunteer run. Um, and it's a place for fun. It's a place to learn about hiking. Um, it's a place of fellowship for hikers, those who want to support hikers, people who want to hike one day um, to hang out and learn about hiking. Um, and so we hold really affordable workshops, day long workshops in five different states um, during the spring before through hiking season. And then at the end of the year, we have a big gathering of people who've hiked, people who wish they had hiked. Um, where we have speakers that will inspire us for the next season, get to see old friends from the trail. Um, people get their triple crowns. Um, there's a ceremony for that. So uh, nice. it, it's a place of fellowship and fun. That's really cool. And I'd imagine in any of those, even though they're all a little bit different, that just just going to their website, signing up and finding ways to get involved, is it's pretty easy. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's pretty easy. And um, yeah, and I think seeing how they're all related, but... Um, have different focuses. I think it's something that, functions, yeah. yeah, you know, like it's kind of the policy wonk in me, like, like seeing that there's different, different groups that are specializing in, in what they're good at. 
Oh, absolutely. And are there chapters for any of those? I know the the CDTC is, is the Continental Divide Trail, but for the others, uh, there's different regions for listeners out there or, you know, local state chapters. Yeah, I think the American Hiking Society might have, they definitely have local events because um, when I lived in Colorado, I did, uh, they, they hold National Trails Day, um, which is usually the first Saturday in June. So there's events, I think, in all 50 states and like the Virgin Islands um, and all sorts of, of hiking and horseback riding and kayaking and trail service, but also learning how to do stuff. So they, they have stuff going all around the country. Nice. Well, I want to shift to your most recent contribution to the hiking community, and it comes in the form of urban hiking. Um, yes. As tourists, we all we all go on the city walks, and we do we take in the history and the architecture and the culture of a city. But I think you're you're kind of approaching this differently, beyond the obvious factor of doing like multi day hikes through cities. So, tell us a little bit more of what what you're trying to accomplish with this urban hiking. Yeah. So. Um... One of the things that makes this a little bit different is is it's um, urban through hiking. So it's taking the principles of through hiking, going for 200-mile multi-day trips, um, all within the confines of a city. And it was originally brought to my attention by someone in the L.A. area who wanted to train for the John Muir Trail and so put together a route of similar length, of more 200 miles, with right. similar elevation gain, whatever, 35,000, I can't remember how much the John Muir Trail is, but a similar elevation gain to the John Muir Trail, but all within the city of LA. And so that that really kind of perked, perked my interest. Um, that was the Inman 300. And I really enjoyed taking the principles of exploration, of meeting people, of um, having a new experience every day, waking up somewhere different and Wherever I wake up, um, you know, strapping on my pack and going and then throwing down my pack at the end of the day, <laughs> falling asleep and waking up again um, to something completely different. I, I loved doing that within a city. Um, so I, I think I'm on my 14th city now. Wow. So let's run through the list real quick. Oh, man. Let's see. Can I, I remember all of them? So L.A., San Francisco. Uh, Seattle, Portland. I've done three in Denver, uh, where I used to live, um, including the, one of the ones in Denver uh, that got a lot of media attention was a brew through, um, which nice. was a yeah, yeah. hundred mile eight hike over eight days to all 65 breweries in Denver at the time. Um, and I've, probably a beer at each stop. Yes, ex- that was yeah. that was part of the requirement. <laughs> um, and I did a similar one in Bend, Oregon, as well, which doesn't have quite as many breweries, but uh, was was in February, which added an extra level of mm. excitement. Yes, um, Grand Rapids. I also did a brew through uh, Beer City, USA, and that was in the fall, which was really beautiful. Um, New York City. I worked with the Trust for Public Land um, to highlight a project they've been working on for almost twenty years to de-asphalt um, public school playgrounds or play yards and turn them into these playgrounds um, and green areas where kids can have access to something besides essentially a parking lot behind their school to play. So to really um, give kids more ability to have an active outdoor um, playtime. Um, and that was in all five boroughs, 225 miles. Hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think you uh, got Chicago. 11 or 12. Chicago. Oh, Chicago. There you go. Two, and Tucson. Uh, um, Tucson, I worked with the Office of Tourism to highlight 
um, a brand new route that they had created. The the they think it is the largest, longest connected multi-purpose um, pedestrian bike course trail, um, all three multi-purpose in the country. Huh. And so I'd imagine in all of these, you're you're trying to connect as much city green space along the way. Yeah, um, that's that's often one of the things I'm trying to do. Um, you know, with LA, San Francisco, and Seattle, and Portland to some extent, um, urban stairways, um, which is one of the cool things about a, a urban public stairways. It's it's like a pedestrian sidewalk. It's this it's uh, it's a piece of infrastructure that's built only for people on foot, which you think about sure. a city that, that that's kind of rare um that's really special so that was something that i was trying to highlight um and yeah greenways are are, are pretty important as well but sometimes i'll have other themes i'm working on a, a through hike in san antonio texas and um you know i'm really trying to put together this uh this this cultural theme and mm-hmm. really a lot of my hikes are kind of like these walking interpretive art projects you know if i were an artist instead of a hiker we would there would be another another term for this, but sure. Um, because I I think the hikes are 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 footholds, excuse the pun, for to get people to think about urban planning differently, people in space differently than they otherwise might. And some of the logistics. So you're you're carrying a tent and sleeping in parks. Then is that uh, you correct? know I've done that a little bit, but. Okay. Um, you know, like it's not legal in all places. And also right. that, I don't that was my concern. feel super comfortable doing it in all places. De- depends on which city and depends where I am. Um, so one of the things that depending on the city, I will either um, walk from a friend's house to a friend's house if I know people there or I'll set up Airbnbs or hostels right. or hotels in certain neighborhoods. That's yeah, that's what I was registering with me. But then when you said I'm picking up my pack and I know you pack other stuff, but it just came to me like, does she have a big pack or is this like a day pack? Um, I'm super intrigued. I know when I read about it, I mean, I obviously walk around cities because I love them and I'm interested in them and, and soaking up their culture. But when you start to string them together to expose, I guess, themes, I know the brew through is an obvious theme, but the cultural one in, in San Antonio as well, or the stairs in San Francisco. It just gives it a little bit more, I don't want to use the word culture, but it gives it more meaning in some way than just, you know, powering 200 miles in a city because it has 200 miles. Yeah. And one of the things that I like, but also makes it difficult um, is that by setting a goal, like I'm going to go to all the stairways or all the breweries, it forces me to go to areas that I otherwise would have absolutely no no sure. reason to go to otherwise. So, I mean, for the brewery hike, um, obviously it was taking me to a lot of industrial areas that I would never ever mm-hmm. go on by foot. And that doesn't have any sort of greenway connection. Um, and, and going to those areas on foot made me really think about and try to communicate to others. Like, you know, like I'm going here of my choice to drink, which is a frivolous thing, but there's people who live here every day who are only able to get around on foot, um, or by buses, which are infrequent in this area. Um, I, I think being being a pedestrian makes you really understand a city a little bit better and how we prioritize certain areas and certain people. Absolutely. And so what's what's come of this? You've done 14, so you're getting media and press for sure. And I'm assuming that you're trying to put together uh, a book or a manuscript of some sort? Yeah, I, I really do need to put together an urban hiking book. Um, I think, you know, the thing is, every city is so different 
And, and the thing about my urban hikes is when I walk them, I'm capturing a, a, a snapshot of what that city is in time. Right. For example, you know, I did the brew through a couple years ago. Some of those breweries are closed. A bunch of new breweries are open. Um, you know, I walked through Seattle um, in twenty end of twenty fifteen or twenty sixteen, and you know, there's so much more construction. And um, you know, when you go out in nature, you know, a landslide might happen or a flooding might happen, but sure. it doesn't. In some ways, it doesn't feel as as much of a difference as you walk through that area necessarily as it does when you walk through a city and just even just a few years later. Now that makes a lot of sense. And, and yeah, depending on how you link these, these trails together or your walk together, it, it almost makes it obsolete after so much time. Right. Which is something I, people are always asking, Hey, can you send the maps? Can you see And, and you know, like the, the maps change the, the, and every everyone's hike is a little bit different because you know other people don't know who I know in a city, so they're not going to stay at my friend's house. <laughs> um, so so, um, you know, I I always tell people like, hey, you know, like try to figure out what's important to you, and um, you know, like mapping it itself is kind of part of the journey to make you think about how cities are connected, how cities are are built or not built for pedestrians. Definitely. Well, I want to end the podcast with my, and you're more than accomplished for this question. We we ended with a trails and ales question, in which uh, a favorite of hike hike of yours you would like to recommend, and what what drink awaits you at the bottom of the trail, whether that be <laughs> at a at a brewery or what drink. So the question is, what drink what drink is at the end of end of the hike? Yeah, usually it's what hike do you recommend and what brewery's close, but sometimes people aren't into beer, so it could be what's what drinks awaiting you at the bottom. Um, so yeah, favorite favorite recommended hike that maybe you've recently done or that you'd like to share with the listeners. Yeah, you know, um, I've I'm always really uh, partial to the hikes up in Tuolumne, Tuolumne Meadows in Yosemite. Right. Um, I spent three summers working out of, out of there, and uh, and you know, I I don't think there's there's much better than I mean, it's hard to choose a favorite Tuolumne hike, <laughs> but. Uh, Mount Dana's pretty up there. Uh, Glen Owen's pretty good. Um, but, but down, down at the, in, um, at the mobile station, getting a mammoth double nut Brown, that that's a pretty perfect day for me. (laughs) Mammoth legs, double nut Brown, double nut Brown. All right. Well, we can put that in the blog post, uh, in terms of the, the brew that you need to do and need to pair with Tuolumne Meadows. I've been up there as well. I can echo that there's nothing wrong. Pick a trail and walk. <laughs> You'll be good. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you hopping on the, the show with me. I uh, thank you for all that you're giving the hiking community uh, with respect to your coaching, the author, the board service. Um, I know I'll be following you from here on out and excited for what comes from you. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Yep. Nice chat to you, Liz. Thanks, Riley. <laughs>